Good evening and welcome. Thank you all for joining us this evening. I am so excited to celebrate Hanukkah with you guys. Um, not very many of us in the sanctuary this evening, so uh, as we settle in, I'm just going to ask everybody to move forward a little bit. Um, just gather together. That way we're a little more unified. I'm nothing to be scared of. I know I look a smidge different, but that's okay. Um, so just come on forward and get comfortable. And tonight's service I entitled Go Light Your World, so we uh, used that song just to put the little play on it. Um, we're going to take a big step tonight. We're not only going to celebrate Hanukkah, but we're going to continue our morning sermon series on prophecies, messianic prophecies in scripture. And tonight I'm going to unveil to you a really unique messianic prophecy that is hidden within the Hebrew scriptures. Okay? reason that I say it's hidden is because in English you will never find it. So you actually have to decode it, starting with Hebrew, taking it back to original ancient Aramaic. And that's what we're going to do tonight. I am so excited to share this with you. Let's uh, go before the Lord, uh, have our time of prayer, and then we're going to light our candles. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord God, we praise you because we know that coming together gives you glory. We know, Lord God, that even just whispering your name gives you glory. Father, tonight, as we've gathered together as messianic believers to celebrate the festival of lights, Father, tonight, we think of the light of the world, your son, Jesus, gave it all for us. So, Lord, tonight, as, as we take this step to step back and and look at our Christian faith and understand the Jewish roots of our faith. Lord, I just ask that right now, in the name of Jesus, you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. And Father, as always, touch my lips tonight with that refining coal that I would speak only the words that you give me, none of my own. Father, stir up a flame in your people. Let there be a hunger that is insatiable. Let our prayer be more of you, God. We give you praise, honor, and glory in the precious name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So tonight is the first night of Hanukkah, and you see there are only two candles in our menorah. Okay? Uh, what I'm going to do is here in just a minute, I'm going to come down and stand in front of the menorah to light it correctly. The center candle doesn't count. It is called the shamash. We're going to talk a little more about the shamash as we go through the evening. But so that you know, the shamash is the only candle that is going to be lit with the lighter all week. Okay, So uh, tomorrow evening at sundown, the following evening, all the way out uh, to December 26th, every evening at sundown, Another candle is added, and they're added from right to left. Every evening, I will light the shamash with the lighter or a match, and then using that candle as the helper candle, I will light from right to left the candles. Okay? So we're going to come down uh, and go ahead with our candle blessings and the lighting of the menorah. 
I'll read first in Hebrew and then in English. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, melech haolam, asher kidashenu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu lahedlik ner shel Hanukkah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who made us holy through your commandments and commanded us to kindle the lights of Hanukkah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, melech haolam, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed wondrous deeds for our ancestors in those ancient days at this season. And this blessing which will be read on the first night only, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech Shehe keanu ve kiemanu ve hiyanu lazman haza. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us life and sustained us and enabled us to reach this season. So tonight we kindle the first lights of Hanukkah, 5,783. That is the Hebrew year. Uh, if you come to our Torah study on Wednesday evenings, I explained uh, as we began that series how our years don't line up quite the way you would think they do. Uh, we, we work on two separate calendars. So the Hebrew calendar is kind of all over the place when you look at our standardized Gregorian calendar. So how did Hanukkah begin? Some, most people seem to have some kind of basic understanding of it. I'm not going to go overly deep into it, but I want to make sure that we know what's happening. So in 167, the year BCE, before Christ, the Jews of Judea revolted against King Antiochus IV after the desecration of the temple. Okay? Um, Orthodox Jews and defiling the temple don't go together well, right? About three years later, in 164, Judah the Maccabee, who was the oldest son of the priest Matthias, and his followers recaptured the temple. And that's the reason for the celebration. So at the time that they recaptured the temple, what they did was they took a season, which is this holiday, and they cleansed it and rededicated it back to God. So what we call Hanukkah, or sometimes the Festival of Lights, is also known as the dedication holiday. All right? Um, and, and that's going to hold a great importance for us as Messianic believers as we travel through uh, the evening and look a little bit closer. Why? Because our bodies are a temple. And Christ does what to us? Cleanses us, right? And we then 
dedicate ourselves to him. Okay, So that's our messianic focus. So in celebration, which was patterned after the holiday Sukkot, they lit the Hanukkah, which is the menorah, with only enough oil to burn for one night. Okay, In their minds, it was better to light it for one night than to light it not at all. Okay, They had to do something. God had seen them through a season. They recognized God's hand at work. So they had to celebrate. And so... They lit the Hanukkah. Now, I'm going to pause here for just a minute. How many of you have heard of or seen a dreidel? Okay, almost everybody. <laughs> for those of you who have not heard of it or not seen one, a dreidel is like a squared-off spinning top, okay? And it surprisingly did not originate as a Hebrew or a Jewish tradition. It goes actually back to very early centuries English tradition. It was later adapted by the Jews. But if you pick up a Hebrew dreidel, there's two different versions of the Hebrew dreidel. And one is the dreidel that would be used in Israel. The other would be similar to the ones that you and I could obtain that would be used somewhere other than Israel. So on the Israeli dreidel, and I'm sorry, I should have put a picture in for you, but I didn't. On the Israeli dreidel, on all four sides, there is a Hebrew letter. Nun, Gimel, He, Pe, on the Israeli. Now, on the, we'll say, other dreidels of the world, it would be the same lettering except it would be nun, gimel, he, shin. When you translate this, it's, it's an um, acronym, and it translates to this, nez gadol hayah sham. In our terms, when we have a dreidel, we would spin it, and it reads, a great miracle happened there. Okay? But on the Israeli, that Pay replaces the sheen, and that means a great miracle happened here. All right? So that's not really important in terms of coming together to celebrate Hanukkah. But in case you want to go home and play dreidel, thought you should know. All right? So here's the big question for the night Does Hanukkah point to the Messiah? Well, we're going to talk about that. There is only, if you, again, are part of our Wednesday evening Torah study, you know that we talk a little bit about the Feast of Jehovah as we come upon them. Hanukkah is not considered a Feast of Jehovah. It was not appointed by God. But it's celebrated because of something that God did. Now, when you look at other feasts, you can pinpoint a scriptural text that basically says this is the establishment of this holiday. But with Hanukkah, that establishment does not exist. There's only one biblical mention, direct biblical mention, that is, of Hanukkah at all. And it's in John chapter 10, 
verse 22. And it tells us that Jesus himself was going, and it was the winter feast. He was on his way to go celebrate. There's only one feast in the winter when you look at their calendar. Okay, Everything else is spring and fall. Um, so that, that gives us the insight that Jesus, who was a Jew, celebrated Hanukkah, remembering what God did for the Maccabees. He made them victorious. So we mentioned that the Shamash is the helper. Does the helper sound familiar to anyone? Do we have a helper in our day-to-day lives? Yes. The Holy Spirit, right? Awesome. So I'm going to link two holidays together that you probably didn't see coming. Passover and Hanukkah have something in common. And that is they are both commemorations of liberation from oppression. Okay? As we look at Passover, we see that Christ fulfilled the Passover and that he set us free from the law of sin and death, right? When you look at early Passover, it was part of the plaguing, and God was setting the Israelites free. Well, Hanukkah commemorates the liberation from oppression. The war ended, and they celebrated. So we have a menorah, a Hanukkah in front of us, and we're going to celebrate for eight nights. It's hard for me not to say eight crazy nights. But we're going to celebrate for eight nights. In Hebrew, everything is significant, right? Because there's no word for what? Coincidence. Yes. No Hebrew word for coincidence. I can never stress that enough. It doesn't exist. Everything's appointed. Okay? So we're going to celebrate liberation from oppression for eight nights. And the number eight in Hebrew signifies a new beginning. We're free. We get a fresh start. How about this? Does Hanukkah point to the Messiah? The light of the world that came to give us a new beginning, right? In the Gospel of John, I want to read to you, uh, this will be from the complete Jewish Bible. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not suppressed it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to be a testimony, to bear witness concerning the light, so that through him everyone might put his trust in God and be faithful to him. He himself, John himself, was not that light. No, he came to bear witness concerning the light. This was the true light 
which gives light to everyone entering the world. There's something for everyone in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So we hear this reiteration of the word light. And tonight we gather to celebrate light. So now we're going to step in to prophecy. I think this is going to be deep enough to surprise you, but not deep enough to totally glaze you over. (laughs) We're going to try. So let's look at prophecy. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, this comes from the King James. God says this through the prophet Isaiah, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no one else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Note that I added the emphasis to declaring the end from the beginning, because that gives us a clue of where we're going to go. God has something to say to us from the very beginning. Okay? Before we take this step, I've taught you one thing about Hebrew. There's no Hebrew word for coincidence. Okay? Other things that you need to know about Hebrew. It's considered the oldest language in the world. It is a, it's an amazing miracle that it has been preserved and is still spoken. Right? Look down through the ages. How many times was it attempted to obliterate the Jews, the Hebrew people, the culture entirely. But it never happened. God preserved. Okay? So it's considered the oldest language in the world, but it's a three-part language. I always say we're kind of bland with our English because we have our letters, and then we separate our numbers, and then we get to draw pictures. But in the Hebrew language, It's all three in one. It's an alphanumeric pictorial language, which means when you sit down and actually read something in the Hebrew language, and you're going to get to see all of it tonight, there's more than what meets the eye. So as you read, of course, you have to read it alphabetically because good luck talking in numbers. That would confuse the daylights out of you. As you read, though, You can dissect, you can separate, you can build, you can look at images, you can look at numbers, and you can derive something greater than just a word. And that's exactly what we're about to do. This is the first word spoken in all of Scripture, Bereshit. Right? Genesis 1.1 in the Hebrew scripture reads, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashanaim ve'et haretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Isaiah has pointed us back. 
he said, God has declared the end from the beginning. Right? We're all on the same page there. And so we come to this very first word, and it translates in the beginning. This is the start. Bereshit. And it prophesies something to anyone who can decipher it. So right now, we're going to start to dissect this word. We're going to go letter by letter, image by image, number by number. We're going to begin with the letter bet. The first letter I should point out to you, of course, that we read from right to left. It's backwards from us. Uh, I also want you to know that what you're looking at here is the Hebrew and down here is the Aramaic. Okay? So, <clears throat> you can kind of see some similarity between some of the pictures and some of the letters. Others, maybe they're a little far-fetched. I didn't write it. Okay? <laughs> I only learned how to read it. So we're going to start with bet. Now, in bet, we have the image of the floor plan of a tent. It symbolizes the number two, and this letter in itself translates to in or inside. Okay? So, uh, I'll point out these, these little dots that are underneath the letters. I could not remove them. They're part of the word bereshit. Those are vowels in Hebrew, or I shouldn't say they are vowels. They act as vowels. They are accent marks. Because in the Hebrew language, it's completely 100% consonants. Okay? No vowels exist. So these little dots that are underneath of the letters tell you how to pronounce them. So ignore those and just look at the letter that's above it. So we have the image of the floor plan of a tent. Symbolizes the number two. And the word itself is in or inside. Now, if you're wandering through, we'll say, the deserts of Jerusalem, and you see a tent, are you maybe going to wonder, who's in that tent? So that's our question as we look at this. Now, I want to point some things out. This symbolizes the number two, which is often related to division. But that's not always the case in Hebrew. Sometimes the, the number two indicates a double witness. Two accounts of one good thing. Okay? Uh, best example that I could give you is looking at the First Testament and the Second Testament. So God established a double witness to give direction through the truth. We have the First Covenant that paves the way and then is some of it fulfilled. Nope, I said that backwards. We have the first covenant that is paving the way to the second covenant that fulfills the first covenant through Christ and we now are waiting on Christ to fulfill certain things of the second covenant. You can see how I got confused. So that's bet, in, inside. 
The second letter is resh. Now, in the hieroglyphic, you can see the image of the head, right? You can't so much see it in the Hebrew letter. But it's the image of the head or a head person, possibly some say a prince. It symbolizes the number 200. And the number 200 declares the all-sufficiency of God and the total insufficiency of man. That's strong, right? The total complete sufficiency of God and the total insufficiency of man. Now, we're going to build. We're going to push those two first letters together. And they create the word bar. And that's the Hebrew word for sun. So in the tent, there is a prince. And apparently this prince is someone's son. But who is he? Now it's clear to us as human beings that people don't just appear, right? People are born. And that's how we derive that this prince, who it seems must be in the tent, must be someone's son. So we're going to hang on to that and keep translating. The next letter is Aleph, the image of an ox or a strong leader. Symbolizes the number one. Okay? It's the first letter of the name of God, Elohim, which is the first name of God revealed in Scripture. Now, had I read that to you correctly in English, I would have said, in the beginning, God's created. Now, that is not to say there is more than one God. That is to show that God is one in three persons. And that's clarified later on when God says, let us make mankind in our image, right? But that's the first letter of Elohim, which means that God is number one. Okay, everybody good? Not losing anybody? God is number one, and God is a strong leader. So now we're going to go to the next, and we're going to build another word. So now we have bar in our bet resh, and when we add the aleph, we get bara. Now, when I read from Hebrew, bareshit bara, created, creator. So now, when I build this word, I have a tent, a prince, a strong leader. And I put it all together and come up with a creator. But I also come up with created. Shows that this son, who must be physical must be the Son of God and be God. 
this prince. So it's declaring, the key word there is the declaration that God is this strong leader. He's authoritative in this. Okay? Now, from the tent of the strong leader is a prince, is how you would translate these hieroglyphs. From the tent of the strong leader is a prince. Okay. We come to the next letter, Shin. This is a very unique letter, and we're going to talk about why in just a second. It gives us the image of teeth, and in the hieroglyph you can kind of see that, right? It almost looks like a molar drawing. Symbolizes the number 300. Excuse me. Symbolizes the number 300, and it's an amplification times 100 of this sacred number 3. Not only that, it's God's signature letter. Okay? God's signature letter. It makes the sound shh. Think of a name of God that might sound all-sufficient and sound like El Shaddai. So it's God's signature letter, and this image shows a divinely appointed blood sacrifice that crushes death. That's, that's the translation of the image. Something divinely appointed, a blood sacrifice that crushes death. What do your teeth do to your food? Crush it, right? You think about getting a, a fistful of chips. What are you going to hear when you put them in your mouth? Crunch! And your teeth are going to demolish those chips, right? Crush them. God is El Shaddai, Almighty. How many of you have ever seen or heard of a mezuzah? Only a handful. If you want to see one, I have one in my office. The mezuzah is the representation of the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. What it is, is it's a tiny inscription of the Torah. And you hang it on the doorpost. And, and you can hang it on the doorpost of your home, of any given room. Some people... Uh, into the Jewish culture will hang one on the doorpost of every room in their home. Okay? One thing, now that you can get them in different sizes, the one that I have in my office is probably only this big. You can get them this big. You can get them painted. You can get them glass. You can get them wooden. You name it. But they all have one thing in common. They all have a shin on the top of them. Why? Because God sealed his law. Okay. In Exodus 12:13, it's pointed out that when God sees the blood on the doorpost, he will pass over. He will protect because the doorway is sealed. That blood is the sacrifice that was made unto God. And because God would bless the sacrifice, it seals 
the door. And so that's the representation in the mezuzah. And God put his seal on it. Number three, real quick, the number three is the number of divine fullness or protection. And this is an amplification of that. <laughs> In El Shaddai, there is an amplification, a hundredfold divine fullness perfection. You can get excited. That's pretty cool. Because it's not a coincidence, right? It's divine appointed. We're going to move into our next letter. Actually, we're going to make another word. So now we're going to leave off the bet, and we're just going to do resh, aleph, shin. And it's pronounced resh, just like the letter. Now, the word resh means prince. So we're told twice in dissecting this word that there's a head person or a prince involved with the tent. So if the shin is the image of teeth that's going to crush and destroy or make a sacrifice, who's going to make a sacrifice? That, that kind of becomes the question, right? Who's going to make that sacrifice? Well, as you pull this word apart and you find the word resh, you get the confirmation because it's a second time that tells you it's the head person, the prince, that's going to make the sacrifice. But it also leaves you with this question. Is that prince coming to crush and destroy something? Or is that prince coming to himself be crushed and destroyed? Or both? We're going to hold on to the question, or both. And then we're going to look at the letter Yod. This is the second to last letter of the word Bereshit. Now, in the hieroglyph again, you can see you have kind of the image of a hand. In the Hebrew letter, eh, not so much. Okay? But, it's not only the image of a hand. Notice that that hand doesn't have five fingers on it. It's because that hand is closed. But at the same time as that hand is closed, that hand is doing a good deed. Okay? This is the representation of the number 10. And the number 10 shows us that God has spoken in divine order. It's the number of law. So with closed hand... God gave a law. And there's a couple perspectives here. Okay? In the Orthodox Jewish perspective, that closed hand is going to enforce the law. Right? It's going to become maybe a little <coughs> pharisaical. Right? Gotta follow the law. You must. That closed hand, it makes a fist. And you're going to slam your fist down when somebody breaks the law, right? Did the Pharisees come after Jesus and tell him all kind of things that he was doing wrong? I can tell you right now they were coming like this. 
They were mad. Don't do that. But from a messianic perspective, that closed hand takes authority over the law. Get excited. Come on. That closed hand takes authority over the law. What did Jesus do on the cross? He took authority over the law. Okay? Are we seeing a little bit of how this is unfolding to a prophecy? In this second to last letter, we see that God has spoken divine order, has ordained a plan in heaven which will unfold as a mighty deed on earth. And the last letter is Tav, the image of a cross. Again, I say not a coincidence. It's the image of a cross, and it symbolizes the number 400, which is the number of a covenant. Tell me you feel something. <laughs> Let me know you're alive. A trial. The number 40 is the number trial. Crossed with divine order. Number 10. Multiply the two and you will resolve in a covenant which will fulfill the deed ordained in heaven and is revealed to us through the power of the cross. That's a lot. I just toss a lot at you. Okay? And I left it kind of separated because we went letter by letter. We built a few words. But now we're going to summarize it. And I'm going to bring you back to the word Bereshit. Ready for the full summary? The Son of God. Now I'm going to read this in a past tense. Okay? knowing that Jesus has fulfilled these things. The Son of God will step out of the tent, leave his throne, and be a strong leader who will crush and destroy the power of sin by he himself being crushed and destroyed in order to lead us to a new beginning, thereby unfolding the greatest good deed ever ordained in heaven for me. Did you ever know that there was a prophecy in the first Hebrew word? Now, here's something unique. That prophecy we just unfolded, I only unfolded halfway because you can unfold it a second time and it becomes an end times prophecy. That takes probably another hour. And that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> the whole reason, I have, I've celebrated Hanukkah for, to the best of my remembrance, I think 13 years, okay? Um, had this conversation this week where my gusto 
for the Hebrew traditions came from, I couldn't give you a solid answer. It's something that caught my intrigue, and it was something that I had to know more about. So I took the time. I went to Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I learned the language because I wanted to know God's language. And it's, and, and, and you know what? When would that have been? That would have been, that would have been a decade ago. And at the time, trust me, at the time, I had no idea that I'd be standing here unfolding a prophecy like this in front of a group of people. But the, the idea behind learning the language was to find the things that God spoke, that, that the people were inspired to inscribe that our language misses out on. Because there's always something more. God has so much in store for us. And it's so wonderful to be able to pick the scripture apart at this level. And it's such a huge, it's the biggest blessing to be able to share it. We're going to close our service uh, actually with a benediction rather than a prayer. But I want to thank you all so much for coming out and for being a part of this. Uh, I hope that we do it again next year and the year after and the year after. I want to make a tradition of this because there's something special to it. This is where you're going to get my major messianic twist on Hanukkah, okay? Happy Hanukkah. This evening, we begin the celebration of the dedication holiday, the Festival of Lights. Tonight, as we light the menorah together, we start with the shamash, the helper. This is the only candle which can be lit with a lighter or a match. Once it is burning, it is used to light the others. Tonight, as one candle burns to the far right of the shamash, let's consider unity. Unity among the body of believers locally and globally. Let's consider the unity of our faith. We believe in one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and in all and through you all. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Tonight we stand in unity, not only as a local congregation, but with our Jewish brothers and sisters as we remember the dedication of a temple once defiled. And we, the messianic believers, sing praise of Messiah, King of the universe, because he has cleansed us and indwells us upon salvation, thereby making for himself a temple in our bodies, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19. Let us remain true to the God of all our days, the one whose fire burns tonight and forever in our hearts. May our prayer be that we would find courage enough to go and light this ever-darkening world. Praise be to Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. Shalom.